Hello and welcome to Diminishing Returns. This week, we're looking at a very interesting B-movie franchise that starts with the 1990 film Tremors. A mid-budget creature feature that gained cult status, Tremors has spawned four sequels and a TV series, and boy, are they a rollercoaster ride. The producers of the Tremors films are not afraid to try new things, and that gives us plenty to talk about as we pick our way through a sequel, prequel, spin-off, and reboot all in one series. This episode contains spoilers for Tremors, Tremors 2 Aftershocks, Tremors 3 Back to Perfection, Tremors 4 The Legend Begins, Tremors 5 Bloodlines, and Tremors the 2003 TV series. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to Diminishing Returns. I'm Alan, I'm here with Sol. Hello. And Calvin. Hi! Oh, let me do that again, sorry. I was, <laughs> was going to say hello and then hi, but I... <laughs> hi there! <laughs> that was really worth... <laughs> worth redoing. Okay. And as always, we're going to be looking at a film or franchise and then uh, breaking it down and then pitching our own ideas for sequels. Uh, this week, we're doing Tremors. This one was my choice, so I suppose we should start with me explaining why I chose it. Yeah, because this is a very, like, I, I'm not sure if um, the listeners are familiar with your sort of usual film taste, Alan, but yes. I think over the <laughs> over the course of almost a year of doing these episodes, I think we've handily identified it as crap American comedies usually starring Vince Vaughn and Martin Lawrence or quite sort of boring dramas where not that much happens. Those are your two avenues of film preference and this doesn't fit into either of those. Well, I, I mean, you, you say, Calvin, it'll be interesting and difficult for the audience to get a grasp on Alan's taste, essentially, but I, I don't even know if I quite understand what Alan's taste is, to be honest. <laughs> He, he dislikes anything, as a general rule, anything remotely close to being just fun. But then, <laughs> but then he has this weird soft spot for the the occasional like cheesy monster movie and it's a very specific type. Well I, let me let me tell you what, I think I think I could probably give you some idea. There's there is one thing that really pushes my button, something I really like in films, and it's when a small group of people are trapped together and have to deal ah. with a, with a threat. And that's very much what Tremors plays into. But you don't like you don't like the thing, which is the mm, best true. example that, of that's that. The, that's Sub- the thing. Trope. And the thing with um, uh, what's his name, John Carpenter films, mm. is that he does that a lot. Even Assault on Precinct Thirteen, for example. And it's one of the reasons why I kind of really don't like John Carpenter because I really should. And so there must be something about the way he does it that really turns me off. And I'm mm. not sure exactly why that is because, yeah, you're right. On, on paper, the thing, I should love it and I don't. But like, for example, like Alien is one of my favorite films and that's, mm. you know, that's, that's one thing. So for anyone who hasn't seen Tremors, it was made in 1990. It was... It's essentially a B movie. It's very much got that kind of feel to it. It wasn't a big hit, was it? It it very much was one of these films that found life in, in home the video media bin, yeah. and TV and stuff. Yeah, it's 
definitely had something of a cult success. The fact that there are four sequels to it and a TV series and talks of another mm. sequel, it was it's become four straight to a, video a, sequels specifically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's become something of a cult hit, I think. And that's one of the reasons I chose it. I think it's really suited to what we do and our style in terms of the franchise. I think the way the sequels go with it is kind of quite reminiscent of the sort of things we pitch <laughs> uh, because they kind of get sillier as they go along. And there's definitely an element of diminishing returns there. Mm. Have you seen all the films? Yes. I, yeah, I, I, I had seen the original a long time ago. I always thought it was a decent little bit of fun monster movie stuff. Uh, but I'd never bothered to watch the sequels until we decided we were doing this podcast and uh, you kind of pressured me into giving them a go. <laughs> I think I think I always wrote them off because they were straight to video. I just assumed they were kind of not worth uh, looking at. Because, I, I mean, I, I've, I've been burned by straight to video sequels to horror movies before um, <laughs> from this era. The, the likes of From Dust Till Dawn 2 and stuff like that. Yes. That just, like, atrocious. Um <laughs> From my perspective, I was completely blind coming into this. Like, I'd heard of Tremors, obviously. I heard that it was a Kevin Bacon thing, and it's been brought up in documentaries that I've seen about monster movies and that sort of hmm. thing. So I knew there was sort of something underground that came and attacked Kevin Bacon. Before watching them, I read a brief synopsis, because I ordered the Blu-ray box set for the purposes of this. I was going to watch them all on that. Ooh, and do, they, on the- do they look any good on Blu-ray? <laughs> Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it. But, uh, the thing that surprised me is that I get the Blu-ray set, and it's the Tremors One to Five Attack Pack or whatever it's called, and it isn't. It isn't. It isn't Kevin Bacon on the front of it. It's yeah. It's like it's Michael Michael Gross. Go- Gross. Mm. Gross. Gross, Go- yeah. Gross. Gross. Michael Gross. And mm. then all of a sudden, I'm like looking at like the cast lists on uh imdb and whatnot and kevin bacon's only in the first one and then this michael gross guy Mm. is the and people are saying like oh michael gross is great in these and it's his series and it's yeah i'd never heard of him before never that's it i i'd i'd seen the first film but i i hadn't even considered that he would be a big part of it until i watched them all and i mean having Mm. seen them yeah i mean obviously it is his franchise and he he is Mm. the well, it, mm. it is one of those things where it does seem to be like he was the one who agreed to come back, and so that's why yeah. he's become the like, and he's yeah. become very associated with it. Mm. But do you know who he was as in before Tremors? I know where nothing about it? this actor. He he play he's most famous for playing the father on the sitcom Family Ties, playing the father of Michael J. Fox. That's when oh, Michael J. Fox oh. became a star. So that was a huge sitcom. He was he was the, one of the main characters on it for five years, and literally off straight off the back of that, he then did Tremors. Like that was his next project, <laughs> ah. and so it was a completely different character and like a real different side to him. Right. It, he, he's okay. an interesting one because it's it's not often that I'll watch a franchise, uh, certainly not a, a five film franchise where one actor is kind of the star of the the film series as a whole and the guy leading yeah. a lot of them and he is just such an unknown he's very much a, a jobbing actor you know he, he he does a lot of roles just guest spots and tv shows recurring roles here and there but i think the average person on the the street wouldn't have a clue who he is to be honest i'm, I'm glad you've i'm glad you've given us a bit of context there alan that's what i mean like in america they would have known him i think he was like he was ah. maybe in 1990 but i mean nowadays yeah exactly when that first yeah. film came out he would have been well yeah known. Mm-hmm. It, so let, shall we look at the first film then in a bit more detail? Yes, let's. 
Well, can I can I try and sum it up with uh, one of <laughs> the on. one of the working titles for the film? Uh, <laughs> pretty much sums and it up. Is it, wait, let me guess. Is it Jaws on the Land? No, but you are incredibly <laughs> close. Um, I know it what is, it is. It is Land Sharks. <laughs> there you <Yeah>. go. <laughs> and, well, this, uh, I mean, that sums it up. Just Google Tremors, the poster, and it is the Jaws poster, isn't it? With the um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. it's a very deliberate take on on Jaws, and and from what I understand from the little bit I've seen about the making of, that was a very deliberate thing, and it was oh, very yeah. much kind of like what can we do where we have a creature that we barely see, mm-hmm. um, and so we can hide it, and that's one of the things I really like about it. I really like those mm. practical effects. I like the models and and the actual mm. creature itself, but I also like the way that they create this sense of danger and movement by mm. seeing it knocking things over or like blowing up dust and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Very simple, mm. but it works really nicely and it's yeah. very similar to Jaws. Oh yes, very. Just to explain it a bit further for people who haven't seen it, um, I mean Land Sharks is quite succinct, but uh, essentially just some some big slug worm monster snake things that drill through the ground, kind of like Bugs Bunny in the old cartoons. Um, they just <laughs> dig really quickly through the ground, uh, turn up in this town out in the desert in America. Uh, what, what's it called? Perfection? Perfection. Perfection yeah. In Nev- Nevada, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. They have to not step on the ground. And it, it was inspired, I believe, by that game that kids often play. Where yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the floor, the floor is, lava. is Yeah, the floor's lava. Oh, you have to climb on, <laughs> on the furniture <laughs> and what have you. Um, yeah. And that's essentially what the film boils down to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it's this giant sort of mm. slug creature, and it has this yeah. big open mouth, and then these little snake thing, tentacle things that come out of its mouth that give it a bit more of a threat. Our main two characters, really, are Val and Earl, played by Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward. And they are kind of modern-day cowboys in the sense that they just drift mm. around, and they're handyman, they, they just do odd jobs, and they're mm. just sort of drifting through life. And that's part of the plot, is that they're kind of they're trying to find a way out. And that sort of gives it a bit more... A bit more character, I suppose, rather than, hey, we're all just stuck here. Mm. And so there's a few attacks in these little outposts, people, farmers getting killed and things like that. The first one, from what I remember, which I think is such a great way of setting things up and hinting at it, is just that they find a uh, a corpse on a, what was it, like a watchtower or something? Um, yeah, like a pylon, basically, isn't it? Yeah, but, the, but then they find out that he um, died of dehydration up on this yes. thing, so they sort of think, oh, hang on, that's... That's weird. Why, you know, why didn't you just come down and have a drink? I, I think that is such a great way of just hinting at something being amiss in that very mm. classic creature feature kind of way. It's, yeah, it's yeah. a really nice And, and, and bear in mind, I guess, if you're coming into this cold, you don't know what's going on. You don't know what the threat is. And so it's not shown until quite late on. And we start to see things getting sucked underground and that sort of thing. And so it is quite a slow burn. Um, I mean, well, Calvin, if you just saw this for the first time quite recently, well, how did that hit you? How much did you know about it going in? I knew, I literally, all I knew was that there were things in the ground that come out and try and attack Kevin Bacon. I didn't know that they necessarily ate people. I knew nothing about them, pick, that they were blind and they uh, catch you by vibrations from movement. So it worked so well for me because I was truly with the characters, mm. with Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward, discovering more about these creatures. Uh, and for as much as you sort of say it's a slow burn, I think it's a slow burn in terms of information, like how much we know mm. about, how much mm. we learn about these creatures. But pace-wise, I think the oh. film has a really, such a wonderful pace. It's yeah. really snappy. It gets into the action so quickly. 
it's the perfect pace for this sort of film. It is just snappy yeah. in and out, no chance yeah. to kind of get bored with it or sick mm. of it. But not even like it doesn't feel like we're just seeing an attack for gratuitous sake, mm. like maybe we would in a Friday the Thirteenth sequel. It all feels well constructed, and each death does lead to a certain, you know, a, a next yeah. action from a character. The body count's quite low, really. For this sort of film, from what from what mm. I remember, isn't it? it? There's not a lot of people that actually die. I think it's it is basically the bare minimum amount of deaths to um, keep the plot working. Yeah, there's a couple of the actual townsfolk get yes. picked off, but most of them survive, don't they? Yeah. Yes. Because they're the ones we. And this is another thing I quite liked about it. All those all the townspeople they were they were fleshed out enough that we knew who they were and we got the town feeling the community <laughs> feeling and we we were we bought into their story and we cared about them but we didn't mm. have to get too much plot about them and too much detail yeah mm. can i um, can um, i before we go can i just praise something else um, about well the direction and also like basically the writing sure um, is there's quite a lot of foreshadowing and like set up and payoff things like for example mm. at the beginning the very opening scene, we see Val and Earl at the edge of this cliff, and uh, Val makes a joke to Earl about there being a stampede to scare him. And then at the mm. very end of the film, mm. they basically use a stampede mentality to scare this thing out off the cliff. Yeah, Really nice, just yeah. the end is the beginning, it ties up. And even in that scene, when Fred Ward is in, is in his sleeping bag and he gets scared and he sort of wriggles off the back of the truck... He hmm. looks like one of the worm things, like in the mm. in a sleeping yeah. bag, and I'm I'm sure that's deliberate. That can't yeah, be yeah, yeah. And little things like that that this peppered throughout the film, and, and mm. little sort of setup and payoff that works really nicely. I think it's really well crafted script. I think it's a nicely directed piece. Yeah. Um, it's kind of if it feels like one of those films, it's really greater than the sum of its parts, and it kind of yeah. all came together quite nicely. Yeah, totally. Because I was quite surprised not to see, uh, like either uh, Amblin, like Steven Spielberg's production company, on this, or Robert Zemeckis, or mm. Joe Dante, or something like that. Like this feels very much of Gremlins, of Back to the Future, with a bit of Jaws in there. It feels very much of those. 80s and bearing in mind Tremors came a good few years after all those films but it feels very much that universal not early 1980s production that they that they were making hmm. can, can I just mention that the director's name is Ron Underwood as well it, it just feels like it's like when Mark Webb got hired to make Spider-Man it's just like <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I, I was kind of fascinated by this guy because he was like he was uh, in the making of. He's this really like he just talks really politely and nice, <laughs> and he's so smiley, and he he has a nice head of hair. And I was <laughs> like, I could not imagine this man directing anything, like being a hard ass on set. And then I looked at his filmography, and uh, unfortunately, it looks like mm. he, well, he had the misfortune of directing the Adventures of Pluto Nash, which. <laughs> From yeah, which seemed to end his feature film career. Well, I was going to say it, it feels like he had a, it feels like he had Tremors, then he had a string of films off the back of Tremors, and then Hollywood stopped uh, answering the phone, and he had to <laughs> do TV for the rest of his career. Well, yeah, like Tre- Tremors yeah. was his first film. He followed that up with City Slickers, which was a big success. And then oh, no, he did Mighty him. Mighty Joe. He did as well. Yeah, and that then, was not. Yeah, great. and then Pluto Nash kind of seemed to. Uh, to do him in, really. But it does. It seems to be that the writers who kind of became de facto producers mm. were mm. really hands-on and, and put everything together. S.S. S. Wilson just seems to be the guy who kind of 
took charge of the franchise and well it was ss wilson and brent maddock and they took they directed the two sequels ss wilson did two and four brent maddock did number three ah right Uh, so they they ended up being directors which they'd never done before i don't think and they were just writers who then became producers who then became directors until the fifth one and we'll get onto this but the fifth one the most recent one completely new team new everything it's just like a, a sort of a reboot in some ways we we haven't really talked about the creatures themselves and how yeah. they're used in the film because it it is very much of the Jaws mentality of you don't see that much of the monster at first and then you see a lot of it later on. Um, you don't there, there isn't much in the way of mythology of it. Mm. They're just these things that are there and let's deal with them now. And I had a weird time with that because because like I say I watched this film a while ago and and I'd always just assumed that they were aliens the the yeah. worms and i i don't know where i got that from because i i only realized watching the sequels that oh no they they never explain where those things came from at all they they yeah. they, sort of hid- they they go out of, in the first film they go out of their way to not say what it is it's yeah. like they kind of deliberately acknowledge the fact that they're not explaining it and that they're just going to let it go and then in the later films they do explain that they're just very old creatures that have been laying dormant somewhere I mean, it, it it works regardless it, for the first film, anyway. It doesn't. Really... Oh, the first film completely works by itself, and all you've really got is the Finn Carter character, who is mm. the geology student, and she is purely there to well, love interest for Kevin Bacon as well as having the right knowledge for enough exposition mm. that you can kind of understand the creatures and how they work. But in terms of the history, all we really find out is well, there's four of them. We can we know that because of the data that she has on her seismology graphs or whatever. And that's about it, really. Like, there's mm. no sort of like, well, maybe there's a nest somewhere. Maybe there's this. Maybe mm. I, I don't know. There's just nothing. And then the sequels, which we're about to go into, mm. don't really expand at all on <laughs> yeah. where they came from. Yeah. It's which seems like such an odd thing because that is the job of a sequel, yeah, surely. I mean, yeah. yeah in, a- in Alien, we don't get any detail, and then in the next few films, we do. And in Jaws, mm. they even try and make it out that it's some kind of personal <laughs> grudge that the shark has yeah. against the Brody family. Well, uh, whereas here, there's just none of that, and I admire the f- the film for for doing that actually. Well, before we move on to sequels, quick word about the practical effects used to to demonstrate them, mm-hmm. because it's mm. a marvelous bit of full scale creatures with miniature mm. model work mm. and some uh, techniques to to make it look like there's something there when there isn't. You know, the dirt moving, things moving under the dirt. It really just gives a sense of danger without actually yeah. showing anything that costs any money. It's, yeah. it's it works really nicely and it is very kind of of its time. I think the I think the practical effects on show in Tremors are all very basic and the the monsters are big slug things so they they're pretty much the most basic creature design they could have gone for just in terms of what would be straightforward to to make work on screen with practical effects but I was very surprised at the the quality of the effects in the the sequels. I really did expect like bargain bin shit, <laughs> and the, there's some really nice creature work in uh, particularly the second one. I mean, I know there's some iffy CGI in there, but there's a lot of puppetry mm. again, and it, it it is like to be completely honest, 
I think I might actually prefer Tremors 2 Aftershocks to the first one. Oh, whoa. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Really? Oh, wow. Okay. It's it's not... (laughs) If if I try and be... It's a solid sequel, I'll give you that. If if I try and be... Oh, whoa, what? Really? Yeah. I like like the second one. It looks like I'm alone in this then. All right. Uh, I I really didn't like it. (laughs) We see, if I I try and be completely objective about it, it's not as well-made a film by any stretch of the imagination. But I think I enjoyed it more personally. I preferred the monsters in it. I preferred the the rules. Um, sequels like this generally, as Calvin mentioned before, you you, you typically have the option of uh, digging into the roots of the first film and looking at where everything came from, or you can do what these films do, which is keep going outward and upward and extending the branches on the metaphorical tree. And and the second film is very odd, because I think part of what put me off watching these films was I just thought it was going to be more of the same. I thought it was going to be more of these worms coming in and chasing mm. people. But what they do, for certainly the first two sequels at least, is they don't do that at all. There's barely any graboid worms in this film. And very soon into it, they kind of spawn off into this weird secondary stage of their life cycle that we've never seen before, which are these weird biped, almost like little raptor things, but they are blind and deaf, but they sense through uh, infrared vision, essentially, so they can sense your body heat. So it's the same premise essentially is the first film they have to kind of play this game of hot lava but suddenly it becomes how can we get from point a to point b whilst shielding our body heat from these mm-hmm. monsters and it's 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 a weird yeah. but surprising and inventive way of yeah just putting putting enough spin on on the same idea to keep yeah, exactly. it interesting it keeps it fresh but it's tonally similar so you're getting the same you're getting what you want mm. out of the film and not to get too far ahead, but Tremors 3 does essentially the same thing mm. and, and, and creates another creature. It doesn't work quite as well in that yeah. one, but, you know. What I will say, though, is that when Tremors 3 succeeds is that it just decided to make Michael Gross the star of the movie, yeah. whereas in Tremors 2, we're still here with Fred Ward, yeah. who mm-hmm. I have no fondness yeah. for at all. I, I mean, I, I assume that that only happened because Fred Ward couldn't be bothered coming back for another one. I, I, is that... Do we know what happened there? I mean, I I just... That's the assumption I made with it. I mean, we don't know, but I think that's probably a fair assumption. (laughs) I know why um, Kevin Kevin Bacon apparently doesn't have much of a fondness for the series. Certainly, it it said that before the the first film's release, he said he broke down and started screaming to his wife that he couldn't believe he was doing a movie about underground worms. He's he's, uh, (laughs) he's changed his mind. I mean, we'll get back... Yeah, we'll we'll get into that in a bit, but... Yeah, he he was very dismissive of the franchise, but he's since revisited, apparently rewatched it and sort of changed his mind, and he's actually involved in some ah. coming stuff that we'll talk about in a bit. Um, that first mm. film, it does strike me as that sort of thing where you would have mm. been on set and going, "This could turn into a <laughs> yeah. massive pile of shit. Yeah. This could yes. so easily be terrible." And like I say, yes. it kind of comes out better than you expect it to, based on on, yeah. on paper. 
What he said is that um, he basically needed it to be a hit for his career when it came out, and then when it wasn't a hit, he just wrote it off and dismissed it as being rubbish because <laughs> it was just this nonsense about some worms. And ah. and um, and then the fact that it found a cult following on video and what have you, I think he was a bit... I think the sort of the old actor's ego crept in and he got worried that he'd be seen as this, mm. you know purveyor of straight-to-video horror rubbish and I, I just think he didn't want to be associated ah. with that sort of thing but but yeah I mean it, on that note uh Fred Ward coming back for this second film the the film does the classic thing of of we pick up with him and it's you know several years on and they've had a little 15 minutes of fame in between the first and second film but he's now just living in his hut out in the desert and surrounded by like graboid memorabilia and arcade machines and things <laughs> and it's most fr- film franchises wouldn't go there till like the third or fourth entry and it's it's odd whenever something like this or ghostbusters 2 is another one that went straight to that well of like they've had their success and now they're they're washed up and nobody cares anymore they do bring in a new uh, sidekick for, yes. Yeah, I'm not. not big the first in a, a run of weak actors <laughs> in the sidekick role. Um, really, I mean that guy. I don't know who he is, but like, instantly hateable yeah. uh, as a Christopher as a character. Garton. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I presume he's never done anything because I've never heard of him, and he's a terrible actor. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> And and just the character's quite hateable as well. <laughs> yeah, well, they have to bring him in because in in the first film, Fred Ward was the sort of grizzlier, older, sort of grumpier mm. one, and Kevin Bacon was sort of the lighthearted jokester. So they just bring in a new version of that character. Yeah. Fred Ward basically spends about an hour of the film being like, "No, son, you don't do it like that. You stupid bastard, you do it like this," and that's pretty much what. <laughs> yeah. that's but pretty that, much that, what how it the could have been is. like you put a good actor in that role with the same script, yeah. same lines, and everything, and it would have been fifty percent better. Well, that's it. the The role that yeah. the role he was replacing, essentially, Kevin Bacon, like that. That character isn't particularly anything special in the first film, but he no. just he gets away with it because Kevin Bacon is a mm. talented man <laughs> and just a charismatic yeah, guy. Yes, charm and yeah. personality. Yeah. So he sells it, mm. whereas uh, this it was, guy the chemistry <laughs> in the first film. It's like between Kevin Bacon, Fred Ward, and the, uh, the the woman from the first film. I thought the three of them had a really lovely chemistry together. Mm. It all worked. It all gelled. Here, Fred Ward just feels like he's been he's been given this movie, and it's like, okay, you're the star of it. Then you're our lead. You're our main guy. And I just he just can't carry it. There's nothing enigmatic, or there's nothing star power. He about doesn't him. seem like he knows quite what's happening. To be honest, it it, it feels almost like he went method. Yes. As the character, and he was just sort of like <laughs> this old man bumbling around in the desert, not really sure what this That's young exactly kid like was trying to get from him. And in terms of character, it is absolutely Michael Gross as Burt Gummer, who who swans in and kind of saves the day in terms of my enjoyment of the film. Really, I mean, for me, the for oh, me totally. the star is very much the the monsters, the graboids. But when he, when he shows up, it's like, oh, great. You know, this guy's back. Cool. You you almost latch on to him more than because I I don't remember thinking that much of him in the first film. To be honest, like I thought he was fine, but he didn't necessarily stand out as this amazing icon mm. of of mm. horror. 
Whereas, because he is just this life raft thrown to you in terms of weak characters and weak performances and in the sequels, <laughs> you really do think, oh, brilliant, this guy's here, fantastic, my favourite. That's exactly it, yeah. But you, you, you praised earlier, Sol, the, the new evolution mm. of the Graboids, um, the Shriekers, they're called, yeah. the little um, th- the raptor-like things that run around. They just didn't work for me, and I think it's maybe because maybe because they are like raptors, and you can see them, and they're wandering around and stuff, and they don't have eyes, but they might as well have eyes, because you, all you need to do is disguise yourself, cover yourself up, and you'll make it past them easy enough. Uh, I, I thought there was something so beautiful and simple about graboids, mm. and that yeah, you can you know you just have to stay perfectly still. You can't move. You need to. The floor is lava. You need to get off. Uh, but I, mean, I understand that they can't just repeat that same yeah. Gag film. I, I do film, think. But... I mean, again, what I was saying with Fred Ward. Again, the 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 idea that the graboids have another stage in their life cycle feels like an idea that shouldn't have been <laughs> arrived at until like the franchise was running out of steam. It's a very strange mm. decision to go straight there in the second film. It's really odd. Well, no, mm. I think it, I think it's a very definite decision by the filmmakers to go. Look, we don't want to just do this. Well, that's again. it. Let's yeah, put something new into it. I think I think I they think were trying nice, to. I think it's a good stay decision. ahead of themselves. And I, like I say, it's it's not on paper. It's not something I'd like because it is such a departure. But yeah, it it, it works for me here for whatever reason. I I think the creatures are cool and amusing in their own little way. And to be honest, I prefer this stage of. I think that's the thing. I think in the first film. Graboids are just big slug things, and I, I've seen film monsters that are just big slug things before. Um, and you were you were saying earlier, so about the low body count in the first. Oh film. yeah, yeah. But in the second film, I think there's about three people. Yeah, it's it's, it's really very low. low. Yeah, and I, I was very conscious. But there's only about eight people in it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the second film is is set in Mexico. Mm. And the characters who die are all Mexican, <laughs> but the characters who live are all American. Yeah. <laughs> How do you feel about that? It's, it's inevitable, isn't it? I mean, that's... <laughs> <laughs> it's just normally, it's normally in these kind of situations, you increase the body count, you increase yeah. the gore, you go yeah. more overboard with it. And like, so, so you've used the, you've described them as horror films a couple mm. of times so far. Like, I'm, Surprised at that? I don't think I don't yeah. know if there are any horror elements in here at all. I think they're intended as horror. I mean, I, mm. I don't think they're scary, and they they <sighs> are. You could make a very good case that they're just sci-fi, sci-fi or fantasy, depending on how you want to define it. Mm. There's a there's mm. a supernatural monster, and they're kind of action comedy films. Another thing about the first film is that it's all very bright. It's mm. you know, it's almost all set during the daytime. It's mm. in the desert. Everything's really burning hot hotly lit and mm. uh, I think it, that really removes it from a horror sense well I don't know again there's yeah, kind of there's a, a scene too... with the, the couple in the car that's set at night you do feel like they're trying to make a horror film or at least I certainly did I, d- I don't think it's a particularly effective I think you're right film. with that one yeah and speaking of speaking of the direction if we could move on to the mm. third film I think this is the worst directed one by, by a long way um, certainly out of the original four uh, yeah. not to Get ahead of the fifth one. But... <laughs> <laughs> no, other than the fifth, in other words, <laughs> well, you made your feelings. <laughs> well, no, I, I did. I, I was getting really excited for the rest of the franchise after watching the second one because I thought, oh, brilliant! Um, maybe this is going to be great fun all the way through. And then I watched the third one, and it was just kind of like, oh no, 
This oh, is just what? what I was expecting from the. Do you like the third one? Yes, much more really? than the second one. But, but the... well, I I yes. think the, the the third one is the worst film. In the I agree for me is the third is, one oh, is no. like it no. It, it, <laughs> no way. it kind of. It, it tries to do exactly what the second one did again. When the third film does it, it's like, oh, there's another stage in the Graboid's life form, and it has its own set of rules. So but it, but they've yeah. It, it, well, let's let's do this because it, it basically it does the same thing again, but barely. Well, the, 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 again, the supporting cast are terrible. So Calvin, what do you like about it? Go on, justify it. Well, it's in- <laughs> I, know, I, I find it interesting that each time when I've mentioned I don't like this, I don't like, like you go immediately to what happens with the graboids as to why it isn't that that is the first point of reference for why it is better or mm. not better. Okay. Like, I think in both in both things, I'm totally with the characters as to how much really? I'm enjoying it. I think the cast of the last one was really quite dull and boring and didn't work. Yeah. Michael Gross was the only one that I had anything for. Now in the third film, he's front yeah. and center, and he's surrounded by a supporting cast of, while not great actors, at least have some goodwill. As far as I'm concerned, of being a lot of them yeah, were in the first for... film, they bring back Ariana Richards yeah. and a load of the townspeople, and I like that. I liked going mm. back to perfection, seeing those people, seeing what had happened a few years after. I like how the town has sort of developed with these graboid things and become a, a, a new sensation. And I, I, I think for me, I, I didn't really like the character that much in the first film and I didn't really like the characters in any of them to be honest so I, I really did just latch on to the, the creature design, the, the way it works and the the very I mean I'm, I'm hesitant to use the word plot but the, uh, the very immediate <laughs> plot in terms of oh he can climb up there he can jump on that rope he can swing from you know that rope to that 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 sort of like almost like you're playing a video game kind of mentality of watching a narrative um and then the the, the whole thing is they fart their way into like flying and it's just it's like suddenly yeah. this really puerile <laughs> attempt at humor that just doesn't <laughs> doesn't really land and they call them ass blasters who after the graboids yeah. and the shriekers this is the the new species of them and it is really juvenile as you say but i, I don't know if it was part of the audience yeah. they were going for and, and the thing or... as well with um gummer i i really like it when a character you like shows up like halfway through the film to sort of save the day so i i kind of enjoy that i think i enjoy that more in the second film that he turns up halfway through and joins the cast of characters Mm. than in the third one where you do just stick with him from the offset well we haven't really talked much about him as a character and i think this might be the best place to talk about because as you said alan he is a he's a gun guy he's a right wing he lives in this like fort almost that he's built himself with a basement full of yeah guns. he's very much the he is the stereotypical uh redneck who's essentially stockpiling weapons and supplies because he thinks that there's going to be some sort of apocalyptic event or the government's going to come and try and take his guns away and he'll have to defend his little ranch and... <laughs> from my cold dead hand and and the joke of the first film is this guy is a lunatic, but then at the end of the film, it, it, it like almost justifies his actions all the way through because he suddenly gets to use all his guns and he's suddenly able to have a big part in saving the day. It's a character I've seen done elsewhere and I've seen it done better, frankly, and more more amusingly. But here, 
I don't think I've ever seen it as purely down the mid, like down the line, just this sort of guy. Because I get, and I guess that is because yes. he isn't developed, basically, like Alan was getting at. I don't know. I th- I think um, Michael Gross does play the character yeah. very well because I have seen this character before in plenty of things, and normally, you know, we, we we're all precious, nice, liberal people on this podcast. <laughs> so this character of Burt Gummer should really be a uh, completely detestable. Like, uh, why are we following this uh, weapon crazy idiot? <laughs> Watching them all now, like his cap, like. I, I had to keep reminding myself <laughs> that it didn't have Make America Great Again written on it, because it is such... <laughs> it, it clearly is that <laughs> that sort of guy, that design. Yeah. And... But he's just played with just the right level mm. of warmth, and there's just something quite affable about how he mm. looks. He seems quite... Like, he could yeah. be good-natured. He's not a complete insane. He's not just going to shoot any one of, you know, yeah. any race that... Well, that's it. There's, there's, no, there's no hate yeah. to the character. He's kind of a kind of yeah. slightly nut-job survivalist exactly. that wants to retreat away from society. The closest analogy for me is um, Dale Gribble in King of the Hill, if you're familiar with that. He's, he's very yeah. much that, yeah, 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 yeah. like you say, incredibly warm-hearted guy, but he's just a bit of a an idiot. <laughs> Um, but you're right, I do think Michael Gross does a hell of a lot to uh, make the character work, and I I didn't really know to oh, yeah. what extent he was um, consciously performing it until I watched the fourth one, and it was like, oh, okay, <laughs> I see I see he's actually like really acting in these films and really kind of doing different yeah. roles. Well, before, yeah. before we jump onto the fourth one, um, <laughs> just... But what really, I think, sticks me with Tremors 3 is I don't know how you get that many bad actors in one (laughs) film. Like, I think... I think it's one of those things where the director has to take some blame, I think, because it must be about not being able to get performance. I don't know. It's uh, partly, but it is a straight-to-video, really low-budget film. This is a professional production. Yeah, you're still paying actors. I know plenty of actors who don't get paid, who are better than these guys. I don't understand how people get through auditions sometimes. But they're shooting out <laughs> in the desert as well. So you're going to have to you're going to have to find actors who are willing to go and live in the desert presumably for however long and, and not <laughs> it's not like they were just filming it in a back lot in LA were they? I mean, maybe they were, I don't know. Again, they bring in a, a sidekick for Michael Gross's character in this case, uh, called Desert Jack who's basically like a chancer con man who Sorry, I've just I've I've just looked it up and it had a budget of about 6 million dollars. So yeah, they could have had good acting. Um for for reference that <laughs> exactly, was That's roughly what Shaun of the Dead cost just for reference there. So yeah, really? um that's pretty unforgivable. Uh, <laughs> But the, the, yeah, the guy who plays Desert Jack, he's he's not like terrible, but he's obviously not a, a, a proper actor. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. He's like yeah. uh, he, he's, a, he's like a performer. He's like a soap actor. You know, he's like that kind of right. Do angry. Do do mm. shocked. It's like so performative mm. rather than acting. Which I know. What what do I expect from Tremors Three? Really, but it's <laughs> like you know. no. You know, I think I'd completely forgotten about that character yeah. entirely <laughs> until you just mentioned him. I, I remember it being Bert Gummer and the um, the Asian lady from the store for most of the film. Um. So, d- did the TV series take place in between the third and fourth film? Then yes. 
Because I because I found it very odd that they went to the prequel well in the fourth film. It just felt like they didn't need to do that. But I didn't realize the TV show existed yet. I mm. assume that came after them all. So, well, let's do the TV series first. I mean, I haven't seen it. I don't. I'm not even sure yeah, if I can get hold of very, it. Very uh, easily, anyway. Obscure. It was on Sci-Fi Channel in America. I don't know, like. I mean, basically, they they showed about half of the series that they made and then cut it off. So oh, did they not even show the whole well. thing? No, they showed about eight episodes, I think. Was it not very well received then? Because, I mean, I, no, they got Gummer it, back, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's and Christopher is, Lloyd was in it. I was reading about it before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I haven't seen it. I did a bit of research just to get the idea. But, yeah, Christopher Lloyd uh, popped up in it as a few episodes. But, basically, the setup seemed to be they have certain things with the Graboids and all that. But then they have this secondary element where there's a kind of nearby government facility. I don't know if it's government, but some kind of shady facility where they're creating hybrid creatures. And so then it, be, right. so that gives them kind of free reign to start producing these kind of creature of the week yeah. idea that they can just use whenever they need to go yeah. back to that kind of idea because the graboids aren't interesting enough for, to <laughs> to yeah. prolong a full series. Um, and, it, mm. and it sounds like they it was kind of exactly what you'd expect it to be, really, and and, mm. and hitting all the notes you'd expect, and it, it just kind of didn't hit, it didn't quite take, and perhaps it got messed up in the scheduling or something. And I know they aired a load of them out of order, and mm. that caused a whole load of yeah. continuity issues for them and stuff like that, mm. but... But, you know, for as far as I know, that was because it wasn't a very strong series and they thought they'd better put a strong episode yeah, on at the start. Maybe, who so knows? Who knows? But yeah, it's, it's, it seems like it's very much in keeping with the films from what I've seen of it. I've seen a few clips and it's perhaps just suffering from that kind of fatigue where we've kind of seen it all before now. And and mm. and it does make sense that in Tremors 4, yeah, they went in a completely different direction. It goes. It, it's a prequel, so it goes back to eighteen eighty nine or something like that. It's kind mm. of this wild west frontier town, and I think it really works well because it puts us in a different situation, and we see how they deal with it there. I like the characters. I really like Michael Gross gets to do something completely different, and the whole thing has a kind of charm that I mm. I really like. I loved it. Uh, <laughs> I, it's really? pr- probably, I, I don't know if either this or the first was my favourite of the franchise, but it just ticked so many of... I know, Saul, mm. in previous podcasts, you've talked about your own mm. personal boxes, and if enough of those are ticked, then you'll yeah. just love a film. And one of the ones that's pretty high up my list is taking a sort of a snooty, uh, <laughs> well-to-do <laughs> character who's actually... who's really trying to keep it together, really trying to keep together this posh exterior when actually is a bit broken, he's you know he's pretty in a desperate situation and put him in you know the most disgusting situation but yeah because and i i like that because it's it's michael gross coming back as bert gummer's like mm. great great granddad or something but playing the character completely differently yeah as i mm. said before he's really given an opportunity to like flex his character acting muscles and yes. <laughs> chew the scenery a bit and do an accent and you can tell he's enjoying himself yeah 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 yes. and, I, and what i really like about it is that he does have a character arc the the film mm. in fact the, the kind of entire premise of the film is his character arc 
and it works yeah. nicely. It's it's not anything unusual or particularly uh, original. It's about you know it's an arrogant guy has to learn to be humble and and sort of respect the people around him. It's it's pretty simple, but it works really nicely. It's contained within the action sequences, and it's it's just sort of yeah, it hits everything you want it to hit. Yeah, yeah. What did yeah. you think, Sol? Um, I I mean, it's not without its charms, but I. I... I didn't think it was great. I thought it was better than the third one. I love the premise of it. I like the characters. I, I like... Or not the characters, but I like that Gummer is reimagined and, like you say, given an arc. I like the old gunslinger that they, they bring in. It, it just kind of began to drag for me a bit as it went on. It just sort of ran out of steam. I, I just... I think it's um, yeah. humble... <laughs> Uh, origins in terms of budget and stuff began to show through, but it it's mm-hmm. it's certainly not a bad film. Oh, for, the, for for budget, I was like, I mean, this is like literally the town of perfection is a is a, a general store and a hotel, and that's it. That is yeah. literally it. Those but, are the only two buildings there, and it's not they're not even real building. It's like a frontis and with a tent on the back of it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, which which they they're basically building the town within the concept of the world though aren't they yeah but the the whole like start of the film is that there's been yeah. an attack at this mine <laughs> and um all the inhabitants are leaving and it's like well where are they leaving from because there is nothing around <laughs> i guess they just couldn't afford to build any more buildings yeah. but god it's... yeah i will say that by by the time of tremors 4 i think they've they they seem to have completely forgotten about one of the, one of the big tense things about the first one is that you can't be stood on the ground yeah. because they might get you. Mm-hmm. Mind Tremors Four, they're just people like stood around on yeah. the, on the floor, just like oh yeah, it's over there, yeah. it'll come, it's, it's fine. It's I, I don't know, they, they they lost all the tension. That's it. I think that one. that annoyed me a bit, and also. It, it it did just feel a bit like oh I've seen the worms thing done before. So what is about halfway through the film once they've got over the gimmick of being in the wild west that that it does just become kind of like the first tremors again with oh there's some worms and we've got to fight the worms. In, in mm. the first films, the the way they have to kill the worms or fight them is is quite a lo-fi kind of way. Mm. Anyway, they have to make do what they've got. So it's not like taking it back a hundred years makes a huge difference because they still mm. kind of got some guns and then like yeah, some other makeshift yeah. tools that they can use to, to snare it and things like that. And so it doesn't mm. even make that much of a difference to how they yeah. deal with it. Yeah. Mm. But the, but I think it's just that there's a charm to it. That central character is really nice. Yeah. I think the other actors are, yeah. are much stronger than in the second and third films. Yeah, I agree with mm. that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Alan, um, to kind of spoil how this uh, this whole process works for the listeners, um, Trem- this podcast was your decision. You wanted yes. to do Tremors. Now, you, when we were talking about it, at one point, me and Sol queried with you, oh, do you want us to watch all the films? And you were like, yeah, yeah, watch all the films. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go up to five then, shall we? And then you were like, no, no, there's only four. And we were like, no, 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 there's there's five. So, so when did you learn that there was a fifth one? Uh, well, when we had that conversation about two weeks ago. All oh, right, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, but the last time I watched the Tremors films was probably four or five years ago. And and I watched the oh, whole okay. lot then, and it hadn't occurred to me that I would make another one. <laughs> and I honestly didn't know. Well, this and, is it. The, so the, the fifth that one was interesting. Only came out two years ago. Twenty fourteen. Yeah. Two thousand fifteen. Twenty fifteen. Fifteen. Yeah. Really. Yeah. 
But the, yeah, the interesting thing about Tremors 5 is that it's not the original team. So S.S. Mm. Wilson and Brent Maddock, who are the kind of the original originators of the series, they are not involved in this at all. You really do feel their absence <laughs> in the fifth film. Mm. Um, yeah. It, 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 I mean, the, the, the amount of time that had passed since the fourth and fifth film as well, it's, it's a good, what is it, 14 years between the sequels? Yeah. And so, mm. I mean, it, it makes the big leap to this kind of HD look of um, yeah. like sci-fi TV productions nowadays, and it it really does look like a TV movie, I guess, rather than which I, which I guess is probably what you know your modern straight to video films tend to look like. But um, um, I, I I must say it, it had a very different feel to the other yeah. one. It doesn't have yeah. that kind of ch- it doesn't have a charm. It doesn't have the mm. same personality. And it yeah. feels like someone else has taken this basic idea and done something completely different with yeah. it. And it kind mm. of works in a certain sense, but... I mean, firstly, Gummer's, like, noticeably older, and that feels weird. Mm. Um, but they don't really address it, really. I mean, they dig into his, you know, lineage and the idea of him having a kid and all that sort of stuff, which I suppose is kind of going there. But, I mean, the, the first three, four, five minutes of the film are shot in a kind of mockumentary format because we see Gummer making a Survivor Bear Grylls kind of TV show with uh, someone filming him out in the desert. And I kind of initially thought, oh, okay, so the hook for this one is going to be that it's a mockumentary. Okay, I guess Mm -hmm. I can get on board with that. I don't know. I mean, not not that I necessarily would have loved a mockumentary film, but I feel like that would have been enough of a fresh spin on it to maybe make the thing a bit more interesting and just kind of in line with the other mm. films. You delve into the graboid anatomy a little bit. You have this narrator taking you through it. You kind of have the story going on. But yeah, yeah. like after the first five minutes, he kind of puts the camera down and it's just shot like a normal film. And then the big hook of this one is basically that um, Gummer goes to Africa. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And again, like I, I mean that on paper, that's a great place to make a film in terms of visuals and and just injecting some new flavor into it. But mm. I don't know if it's just the the lack of budget again. Like it, it never really amounts to much more than Gummer standing in a field. You know, it never really looks. You, you don't get like. <laughs> The African plane. And and there's a lion in there. There's yeah, elephants. Yeah. They, they made an effort. Oh, yeah. I forgot about the lion. Yeah, with the cage. Yeah. This film showed, like, compared to the film that was made 15 years earlier, in terms of what you can do on a low budget, yeah. this film feels much more filmy. Like, it feels like, like those computer-generated mm. graboids that they now completely redesign. Uh, and mm. and that's that was interesting as well. Like, is that a change in audience that they have to change the creature design? Like, they couldn't just take that old design and then do it CGI. They had to completely mm. revamp it and make it something else. Mm. I mean, it's it's not that they just retcon the look of the thing, is it? It's that oh, it's a new sort of subspecies yeah, of the same species, creature. Yeah. So I, I took yeah. it as an attempt to keeping the the concepts from the earlier films going, essentially. The same the same way that they're in Africa and the second film is in Mexico. It just felt like this was made by a fan of the original films. 
Well, at least they finally gave them teeth. Like, on the posters <laughs> of every single one of these films, it's the, the monsters always have these giant, white, like, fang teeth. <laughs> and it, but then they don't actually have them. Uh, they, again, this is, my main problem with the fifth one was, with the news direction, it, it completely lost its B-movie sense, that kind of sense of charm, the sense of humour. The, the, the other mm. ones have. And this kind of, there's a slight tongue-in-cheek, we know how kind of silly this all is, sense to it. Whereas in Tremors 5, it feels like they're trying to make a legitimate action thriller. Who is the um the African lady and the, the kid? And then, is that her husband? I, well, he's uh, an I, interest, I couldn't quite... interested gentleman, not a husband. But I kind of I kind of liked those characters that they I think they were nicely acted I think they worked but then it felt very disjointed from the rest of the story and it felt like yeah, there were totally. two separate story strands that didn't click very well yeah and then they kind of come together at the end but not really but she is treated like she's not a comedic character she's not uh one for levity she is an all-out sort of meant to be like sigourney weaver ellen ripley action star Mm. like running in slow motion with this flaming bow and arrow and it just doesn't work it feels out of place because we've never we've never had that kind of a character in these films and and the comic relief here is obviously supposed to be Jamie Kennedy. He's supposed to bring the levity, oh. <laughs> and it doesn't it doesn't work, does it? I mean, I've, I don't think I've yeah. seen Jamie Kennedy for twenty years. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what has he done since Scream? Uh, <laughs> Whichever Scream he was in. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was in the original three. Yeah, he was in all. Apparently, three. he was in the Hungover Games, which I believe is one of those <laughs> oh. epic movie type spoof things. <laughs> so that that's the level he's been working at. I was really surprised that this should be the kind of role where you bring in some like fresh young blood to rejuvenate the franchise. Like when Burt Gummer has his, yeah. you know, he wants to go off and retire or whatever. This new guy can carry on the thing. You don't go to like forty-five-year-old <laughs> yeah. Jamie Kennedy, like pudgy Jamie Kennedy, to come in and be the. <laughs> Like, I just, I don't understand how he got cast. Like, this should be someone at least, like, 20 years mm. younger, surely. Yeah, it is, it is weird. <laughs> and then he's meant to be Burt Gummer's son? Well, that's the kind of plot twist at the yeah. end. But, and it, it doesn't it doesn't need it. It's not emotionally resonant. It doesn't work no. because they kind of drip it in, but they don't build it up to a point where it would be mm. emotionally relevant to Burt Gummer. It's just like a stranger comes in and says, oh, by the way, I'm your son. He's like, oh, right. Mm. Uh, (laughs) and it doesn't yeah it really doesn't work there's another character in it who's like the sort of South African equivalent of Burt Gummer who's kind of a slightly eccentric (laughs) gun guy oh the helicopter pilot yeah and he ends up getting swallowed by one of the the graboids and then survives as well and that's kind of like a that seems to be like if you're a graboid hunter that's your kind of your right, right of passage, passage. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and those two the relationship that those two build in sort of very brief scenes but they kind of instantly click and they understand a kind of shared passion and thing that relationship really yeah. works for me even though it takes up about 10 minutes of screen time but the relationship between Burt Gummer and Jamie Kennedy's character does not work at all <laughs> so yeah it's very odd I think they brought Jamie Kennedy in thinking, like, I watched the outtakes reel on the disc, oh, really? and most of it is just Jamie Kennedy doing the same scene about four times and, like, ad-libbing yeah. a different line at the end of each one or something. And I think they did bring him in with that in mind. It's like, yeah, we'll 
you know we've got we've got about half a script and no jokes so we'll bring in comedy genius who can sort of add Jamie Kennedy and, to yeah <laughs> polish the script on the set exactly yeah and then it's just like, he's just not terribly funny I'm sure he's a lovely man I'm sure he's really nice but I I'm not I I don't think he works here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of terrified at the idea that because they are making a Tremors six, uh, and Jamie Kennedy came back. Oh, really? For it, apparently, there's yeah. definitely been. Yeah, there's I... even been word of Kevin Bacon getting involved. And oh, really? Yeah. yeah well, no, no, they're they're, I mean, they're, they're they're two different things. Um, weirdly enough, there are now like divergent Tremors timelines and projects <laughs> in the works at the same oh, time. No! Uh, Tremors six is not a series that needs uh, that. Tre- Tremors six is in the works, and I believe they've started filming it, but it won't be out till next year. And simultaneously, there is a new Tremors TV series in the works, which is currently over at Amazon, and Kevin Bacon is oh. reprising his role. I, I read a bit of an interview with him. He essentially said that he uh, rewatched the film and realised it's actually quite good, <laughs> and that he just been like, um, <laughs> you know, he was just in the wrong place in his life to really appreciate it at the time when it came out. So um, he, said, he said, "Well, the producer called me on my EE phone, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and suddenly I thought it was a good idea." <laughs> Yeah, I've seen Kevin Bacon like wearing the Britney Spears red <laughs> music video costume for money recently. I, <laughs> I I don't think anything's beneath his dignity anymore. Yeah. But you know, Britney Spears, that's a good topical reference, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um. It is when she comes in and she's like, Kevin, you're wearing my outfit. That I wore like, 15 oh, years Britney. ago. <laughs> <laughs> It's great. They're both so relevant. <laughs> well, that's it. Kevin Bacon says he's coming back for this mini series. They're calling it so as the same character. Yeah, he played in the yeah. original one is going to be a reboot. A it's sequel, the same character or... from the first film, but apparently they're just ignoring the sequels that already exist. Oh, poor Michael Gross. Oh yeah, and apparently, apparently, Michael Gross has not been asked to return and uh from the sounds of it he See, would that's be... a pretty major mistake yeah <laughs> from, from the sounds yeah. of it he would be very open to returning and they just <laughs> haven't contacted him and from from the sounds of kevin bacon's huh. camp it sounds like he just doesn't want anything to do with like the straight to video sequels and what have you and it yeah it's, it's all a bit wow. of a shame really because I, I hope it I, I hope that the series stands alone rather than rewriting what they've already got. So as as we move on to the pictures, um, I do just want to say that just wrapping up general thoughts on the franchise in general, I'm really happy, Alan, that you suggested doing these because I uh, like this is a, a franchise I had no knowledge about at all, mm-hmm. no expectations or. Uh, 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 pre-concepts, anything like that. And I actually came away from it being quite a fan now. Like, I will be keeping up with the series when the new ones are released. And uh... So, getting on to the pictures then. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go first. Okay. Now, uh, we've talked already about how the, uh, the the premise for the first film was basically Landshark, right? <laughs> so, wait, wait, now... Wait. Uh... It's going to be... It's going to be set in sea... Uh, but a creature that would normally be on land. Sea lions. 
Um, oh, that bit, I never thought about that. Um, no, I'm I'm just doing Tremors versus Jaws. Oh, that's, my, that's my idea. Um, so yes, we're going to bring back Michael Gross, and um, I was thinking anyone sort of who you could bring back from the Jaws franchise that would mean anything who was alive. Mm. All you really have is Richard Dreyfuss, but he's a bit too old just now. Michael so Caine. I was th- think. <laughs> ah, Michael Caine would have been good. No, I will. I went to Dennis Quaid because I think <laughs> yeah. he's he's at a level now where maybe he'd do it. Maybe if the price was just about right. <laughs> We start the film. Those are our stars. Now, we start the film with a suspenseful uh, set piece um, in the ocean, uh, a bunch of young, nimble, swimming, like, 19, 20-year-olds. I'm anticipating a new larval stage that allows the Graboids to enter the ocean, but I'm really hoping that they're actually going to meet each other in just, like, some mud or something. (laughs) Like, like there's a bit of a flood, and and Jaws can swim through the mud, but the Graboid can dig through it, and it's equal, equal... (laughs) <laughs> playing field. I'm, I'm rewriting my third act as we <laughs> as, as we speak. Um, so there's all these young, you know, teens in the in in the in the water, and of course there are things that come up and start attacking them. It's a bloodbath. What are these things? One of them screams as she jumps onto like a a, a water buoy um, in the middle of the sea. Um, Barracudas shouts one of her friends. Huh? What? She replies. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Suddenly, suddenly a shark fin pops out of the water and begins to chase one of the swimmers. Shark, it's a shark. Um, And and everyone's screaming and it's like, oh no, come on, come on, get to the thing. And um, just as the fin is about to get this girl, other things start uh, floating, start swimming in from either side of the shark and start attacking the shark. Um, and we don't quite see what they are, but we just know that there's lots of them. They're sort of thinking, oh, are they piranhas? But no, this is the ocean. They can't be piranhas. What are they? What are they? What are they? And then the girl and her friend are up on the water boy, and then two of them jump out and latch onto their faces and drag them <laughs> down into the sea. And and yes, they are. They are grab. They're a, a new evolution of the graboid, which can now live in the sea. So after after that. I think we'll all agree thrilling opening sequence. <laughs> we'll go to we we go back to Paradise, the town from Tremors where perfection. we see <laughs> no, life is no, perfection. Perfection. Oh shit it is. <laughs> oh yes, perfection, sorry. We then go to perfection. The No no sorry, Paradise. Oh no wait, perfection, yeah, sorry it is. <laughs> what? <laughs> so <laughs> We, we then go to <laughs> we then go to perfection, where we see life is going on peacefully as the townspeople live in harmony with El Blanco. We're going to bring back the white albino graboid from Tremors Three, and we get cameos here from a lot of the original stars, but not too much as Sol and Alan would give it a bad review because they're all terrible actors. <laughs> if we're going by the third film, apparently. <laughs> But so our focus is on Bert Gummer, who we find is kind of bored with his life now, because everyone knows how to battle graboids in this day and age, and as every version of them has been discovered, so we so we figure, um, he feels like he doesn't actually have any purpose anymore. Like his entire existence was based around these 
creatures and their evolutions and killing them. Um, but he he lives. El, El Blanco is kind of a pet almost mm-hmm. to him, and and they he's sort of waxing lyrical and sort of uh, having a heart to heart with El Blanco. He's getting old now. He doesn't know if life is quite worth living. He's thinking about killing himself. But a new bloke turns up in town, and this is Dennis Quaid as Michael Brody. Um, <laughs> now, Michael Brody is still a marine biologist, as he was in Jaws the Revenge, but he's uh, obviously he's investigating these uh, new creatures that have appeared in the ocean, and he has a hunch that they are relatives of the Graboids. So Michael Brody turns up in town, and he is obviously there to get Bert because he wants to his help investigating these new creatures. And Bert is actually galvanized for the first time in ages. He's like, "Yes, brilliant. Okay, great. I have a purpose." And they're going to go off together now. <clears throat> obviously, Michael Brody's a marine biologist. He's all about the preservation of animals and that sort of thing. So we're going to get some uh, conflict here between. Bert, who seems to want to just blow everything up, and uh, Michael, who wants to study it and research it and that sort of thing. We can have an odd couple on the sea type of scenario here. Um, yeah, so the water-based graboids are... Um, they're, they're not actually as big as great white sharks, but there's just a lot of them, so they can kind of overwhelm the sharks and, and, and feed on them. But they seem to be taking the um, the uh, fragments of the sharks back to, back to a, a sort of nest, and we see that there is actually a kind of big octopus-like um, graboid Ooh. that's actually growing on the bottom of the sea. So this is our, this is our big boss, obviously. So uh, they decide that they need, if they've got to have that, they need to find the biggest great white shark they possibly can to take it on, because that's the only thing in nature that could take it on. <laughs> and um, this is obviously Michael Brody's thing, is all he needs to do is put his little toe in the water <laughs> and the biggest great white shark in the area will come up. But... Um, Bert has the idea to um, strap weapons on the shark, uh, like guns and, you know, that sort of thing, which he can control. Laser beams? Uh, Yeah, why not? Why not? That he can control via via remote control. And so that's our sort of setup for the big battle at the end, which is the (laughs) octopus. Which is the octopus... Graboid in the water taking on the biggest gun uh, totem shark you've ever seen. <laughs> now, um, the shark obviously wins because the shark has had the advantage of the um, humans' humans' help. Um, now, here, somehow, the characters are going to move away from the sea to some kind of river or something. Um, some, somewhere where there's enough mud that enough mud can get whipped up in the <laughs> water. So that uh, we can have a level playing field for um, El Blanco, who's going to come back because the gun totem shark is now chasing Bert and Michael. Um, and they think it's all over when here comes El Blanco and El Blanco and the gun totem shark have a fight. And of course, the shark loses to El Blanco, who Bert pats on the head and <laughs> throws a treat. And um, that, that's, the, that's the end. Uh, Bert and Michael can go swimming off into the distance. I do like how um, Bert and El Blanco become friends, and like <laughs> I can imagine, like I thought that's where him, they were going, to- tossing a beer into El Blanco's mouth, <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> they just start hanging out together. I think he should use him as a kind of faithful bloodhound, like a sniffer dog. You, you can train him to like lead him mm. to the to the graboid eggs or something. So that was my uh, idea for uh, continuing on this this franchise. Um, Sol, what is yours? Well, 
my mine is a very straightforward pitch uh insofar as i kind of feel like if it ain't broke don't fix it you know that that all thing okay. um i feel like there's enough of a framework with tremors to to do something i feel like enough times passed since the original film um whilst i really appreciate all the the off shoots and tangents and gimmicks and things from the sequels i i think there's enough space that just a flat out straightforward reboot would would work really well in today's day and age so my my Mm. approach would just be yeah just that straightforward reboot I'd, i'd want it to be still set within the same continuity so not a soft reboot not a hard reboot so Probably all new characters. Doing yeah, the same thing. Yeah, set in the same world, but probably all new characters. I mean, I don't know, maybe maybe uh, Gummer can pop in for a little cameo at some point. There's no reason why he couldn't. You could probably even get away with bringing Kevin Bacon back if he was up for it, but it's not hmm. drawing upon the lore of the earlier films. It's designed as just... In fact, you're probably better off not bringing him back for that reason. I think you're better off just new characters who've never encountered these things before and don't really know what they are. But how could they be in the same world and not know? Well, you could set it, like, the same year. You could set it in 1990. Ah. <laughs> just in another bit of the desert or something. <laughs> I mean, this is the thing. I, I Part of me would like to take it to the city or to just, just somewhere a bit drastically different, like a suburb. Mm. Um, just to see that. But, I mean, part of the appeal would just be seeing a Tremor sequel with a bit of money behind it, like a real... I, I wouldn't mm. want this to be another straight-to-video jobby. I think it would war- it, it warrants being given a, another uh, a proper theatrical budget and really embrace the um, the horror-comedy element to it, the kind of splat- splatstick way of doing things. I mean, I, I would go to... You, you want to get like some big talent really on board to write and direct it and make it as funny and as scary and as much of a genre um this has got peter jackson written all over it that's exactly (laughs) what i'm about to uh, suggest you go to peter jackson and you say peter have you got any interest in returning to your roots probably not (laughs) He, he probably wouldn't want to uh you woo him as much as possible you sort of point out that his last few films weren't very well received and maybe he could do with you know, getting back to basics and honing his skills again and being a bit more restrained. Uh, but if you, you tell him that you can take the 90 page script and turn it into three, four hour yeah. movies that you can have extended cuts out on DVD as well. Yeah. But if he, if he says no, you just move down the list. And this is the thing you have a big list. You go to Sam Raimi when he says no. Yeah. Um, you, you go to James Gunn after Sam Raimi turns it down. You just keep working your way down until you, end you probably with Joe end up Dante. with. Well, I was going to say, you probably end up with whoever directed Piranha 3 Double D or something like that. So. Um, so would this? Are you saying this would be like a, a big budget production? Are you saying they'd try to make it and then it wouldn't? They wouldn't be able to get the right people. Um, yeah, a, a big budget. Yeah, I mean, not. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a huge budget. It doesn't have to be like Skull Island level of budget. Would it be? Would like you would have the sort of Jerry O'Connell in the lead? Uh, you'd go type. for you'd, you'd go for Chris Pratt, I think, and, and then just Brendan work your way down the list. <laughs> Jerry O'Connell. Uh, I say it's all about working Jerry. way down the list. I think realistically, oh, I don't know who who would be realistic. You'd, you'd you'd have to find someone. 
No, you'd have to find someone who happens to be a big fan of the original. Someone like Seth Rogen, who like, <laughs> yes, comes out of the yes. woodwork and says, <laughs> yeah. oh, I'm really into those films, I'll do it. And then you get him to like work on the script and he'll get James Franco and, and all his mates to like pop up for cameos. And that's that's how you do it. But that is that is reliant on Seth Rogen being a big fan of Tremors, which he probably isn't. Um, there's got to be a big, there's got to be a big Tremors fan out there who'd be willing to, to get involved. So Alan. Right. <laughs> How how would you add to the Tremors franchise? Well, my idea, I think it's it, it's a logical direction of where the series is going, and that is to to kind of go full meta. So, my oh. pitch for Tremors six is that there's a big Hollywood production being made to tell the story of the original Graboid okay. experience. So, <laughs> um, let's begin with a Hollywood producer character. You know, fast talking, slick. He's played by Vince Vaughn. Let's <laughs> uh, <laughs> just get rid of that. I I did create this character, I then put Vince Vaughn in it, and then didn't really do anything with the character. So, but you can imagine what Vince Vaughn would do as a as a Hollywood producer. So the first thing he has to do is go to the original people, so Val, Earl, Bert, and try and get them on board as like expert advisors. Okay. Um, and so we get a little cameo for Kevin Bacon because he he doesn't actually want to come back, but they they can pay him enough to do a cameo. So they have him as <laughs> Val saying, "Oh yeah, I'm not interested." They just sort of will, but we'll like we'll drop in on him and see what he's up to. But I think like Val and Earl now they're like big shot millionaires because they opened a theme park and they started doing really well from it. That was the sort ah. of Im- that was implied in some of the later sequels. Uh, but I think Fred Ward's probably available, so he Earl can be part of the film. <laughs> now, is he alive? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Fred, he's, he's in his seventies, but he he seems pretty uh, sturdy still, from what I've seen of him recently. Um, uh. Like he was in True Detective, which was like last year. Ah. Um, but I do think uh, we could have his character in a wheelchair and like he's hooked up to an oxygen tank and all that. Uh, like I want to make him look like he's quite ill. And they get uh, they get Bert as well. And uh, they all go to the filming location, which now they're filming it in Nevada, but it is a place that's suspiciously close to Area 51. Um, <laughs> and we'll have to sort of just drop that in casually. Where, where, is, where is Area 51? Arizona? Nobody knows. No, it's in Nevada. Is it? Why have I got Arizona <laughs> yeah, yeah. in my head? It's all desert, isn't it? <laughs> it's actually Nevada, I believe, Alan. Nevada. Just, oh, just so we don't upset our American listeners. <laughs> so Nevada. they go to this. They go to this place in Nevada where they're they're starting. The, the filming's not started or anything like that yet, but they're, they're building the set. So they're creating like this. They're building perfection, basically. And then what I want is the the cast who are going to play these characters in this film are there as well. They, they're there to meet the real people and sort of get into character right. stuff. So I thought we could have the actors who were playing them. We could have um, Luke, right. Hem- Luke Hemsworth, who's like the other, the other Hemsworth. Because I think if they, good. they wouldn't get like the, the good Hemsworth or the middle Hemsworth. They'd get the third <laughs> one. And then... And then the other one you could have. Um, I do think it'd be good to have Michael B. Jordan, who is oh. uh, the guy ah. who plays the new Fantastic Four flame yeah. on guy, and he's yes. in Apollo. Um, and then now, 
playing Bert Gummer in the fictional film, yeah. I want Jason Bateman. <laughs> um, now, now, my theory on this is that Michael Gross was in a famous for being in a sitcom and kind of oh. not that character at all, so I want to go something completely different. Yeah, I think that would work, um, yeah. Oh, and then the other thing is that they, they, they kind of go, oh, well, let's see the Graboids, let's see the things that you've created that are going to look like Graboids. And Vince Vaughn goes... Oh, no, 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 no. It's all going to be CGI. Don't worry about that. Oh, so, I, oh. <laughs> but then then he introduces them to Andy Serkis, who will be playing the, the Graboids. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought, <laughs> I thought it was going to be and, like a, a, a cons- like he was conspiring to just throw them in with some real Graboids uh, and no, fill the no, outcome, no. And, and he was tricking them. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so Andy Serkis is playing the Graboids. He's, um, he's gone deep into research. So anyway, the... Um, the inevitable happens, right? A real Graboid turns up and starts eating crew members. And so this mm. is kind of the middle of the film. I've not put much detail in, you know, action, action, action. Things get eaten, you know, all that sort of thing. But then, like, you could have fun with it in this fact that they have to get up on the roof. Uh, and it's, like, exactly like the first film because they've built the set that is, like, the first, like, the town. Uh, <laughs> and that sort of thing. Okay, but anyway, it, we'll get to the point that there's only one Graboid. But he's a really big bastard, and, and it starts picking people okay. off. Okay. Bert hasn't got access to, like, his arsenal of weapons, uh, so they can't just sort of kill it easily. Sort of comic relief element, you've got Jason Bateman. He's playing this gun-toting kind of wacko, but he's actually, like, a real pansy liberal pacifist, and he's afraid of guns. <laughs> uh, and he can't even shoot the fake guns without flinching. Uh, they have to outsmart the creature to survive, so in order to do that, they have to combine all these elements that we've set up earlier. So because of the in-depth research that Andy Serkis has done to get into character, he can predict how the Graboid will behave. And so they can, uh, they're able to trick it into an ambush. They kind of can trap it in a place. And then hmm. they, get, they get some of the pyrotechnics that are set up for like the film set like explosives and things that they were going to use to create, you know, little bits and pieces. The, they get that and create a bomb. Uh, so, you know, I'm sure that uh, Bert could do that. They get, they get this bomb and then they, they get they get Val, they, they kick him out of the wheelchair, they attach it to the wheelchair. And then <laughs> and then this is like a homage to, like the, to the remote control car bits they were doing in the, ah, in the first yes. films. So they've got this wheelchair, they rig it up with a remote control they like drive it out into the desert or wherever. This huge mm. graboid comes and grabs it, swallows it, boom, and then they pull the trigger. But mm. something goes wrong. The bomb doesn't detonate and they can't make it work. And then the graboid attacks them again, but they notice that when they when this does it, it has swallowed the wheelchair, but it like couldn't properly swallow it, so it's kind of stuck in its mouth. And of course, <laughs> attached to the wheelchair is an oxygen tank. So, <laughs> and then through, I don't know, we'll have to contrive some reason that it's Jason Bateman who has to be the one who's got the gun and he has to take aim <laughs> and sort of face his fears and shoot into this gaping maw of the graboid. He shoots the oxygen tank, it explodes, it detonates the bomb, that explodes, the creature is destroyed, and then they are all showered in its orange guts. <laughs> and then... So they, they all survived, or some of them will survive, some of them will die at some point. And then just a little closer, right at the end, these these mm. this car pulls up two men in black suits, white shirts, sunglasses. They step out 
they're going to be played by Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill. <laughs> and then <laughs> they whip out their like little amnesia pens and flash everyone and, <laughs> and wipe their memories. <laughs> just, <laughs> just as we, uh, just as that happens, we realize that Bert is wearing sunglasses as well. And he's been unaffected by the rays. And we think this might be a mistake, uh-huh. but hey, there's a twist. Bert walks over to them, to the men in black. He shakes their hands. He says, well, well done. Good job done there. And it turns out that Bert is a man in black. <gasps> what a twist. So you're, you're anticipating MIB 23 or whatever they're calling it, <laughs> having Tremors. taken place before this film. <laughs> Yes. Okay. Why not? The upcoming 21 Jump Street. MIB. Yeah, the the upcoming third 21 Jump Street film, which is going to be a crossover with the Men in Black franchise. Ah, yes, right. that's why. Oh, okay. I kind of wondered why. <laughs> yeah, just just to and fill yeah. in any listeners that are also uh, perplexed as to what that's all about. And so I think the the idea is that Bert, you know, being this after he dealt with the graboids, like. The, the men in black approached him and said, look, we like what you're doing. Uh, we, we like your work. You're obviously good at coping with monsters. Come and work for us. And so he's been working for them the whole time, but he kind of lives this double life as this slightly wacko uh, survivalist um, mm. because that's the best way to do it, you know, hide in plain sight. Yeah. In the same sense that a lot of like major conspiracy theorists, like they're deliberately set up to kind of set out these whack job conspiracy theories that are obviously unbelievable. So that the real conspiracy mm. theories get sort of lost in the in the mess. Yeah. Hmm. So anyway, that's my pitch. Uh, there's plenty of references in there. Yeah. I think the, the, f- the fans and... will be happy. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? This this one was one of the more fun um, things that we've covered to sort of come up with ideas for pictures too. Like there were kind of there were quite a few sort of avenues when you sort of think about like I think Sol you mentioned like uh yeah do you take them to the city? Do you yeah. take them abroad? Do you take them to like London or something? Uh do you pick up on a different character? Mm. Do you what like what do you do with that? I think there's lots of different ways to go and a lot of fun ways to go. I really would like to see one set in suburbia or a city, just somewhere populated. Mm. But I mean I I think the only reason that hasn't happened has gotta be budgetary. Um yeah. Uh, should we end it there? Is there an end point in there somewhere? Yeah, that's all. You just fade out. That's the beauty of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you just bring bring the music up, the little outro. <laughs> so, what did you think of Tremors? Have you even seen it? If you haven't, then let me heartily recommend it. And then come and talk to us on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash diminishing returns podcast. And do please help us spread the word by sharing and liking our episodes, because that means more people see them, and they might actually listen. I've just looked up Michael Gross on Wikipedia, and, and this just really is perfect. Just under his bit about personal life, he says, oh, he's married to so-and-so. And then it says, he's a passionate rail fan with an extensive collection of railroad antiques. He is an amateur railroad historian, <laughs> photographer, modeler, and part owner in a working railroad. <laughs> Oh, Isn't that just exactly I, what you expect? <laughs> oh, I love man. him. Like, well, that's oh. good because then his his. I'm surprised it hasn't happened, but his passion project, Tremors film, would be like Tremors on a train. Tremors on a train. Yeah. Well, the, the, there's, they there's got a, that steam train in um, Tremors Four, didn't true, they? I wonder true. if that's anything to yeah. do with him. That made me tear up. That thing about Michael <laughs> Gross and the and the and the train thing. It's just so cute. It's. 
really oh i love that so do you mean so nice do you mean he sits like reverend lovejoy in a little room with toy trains or is it like that (laughs) and he's got like actual like parts of actual trains hanging on the wall and he's got pictures of of trains a bit of both yeah and he he goes to look at the trains oh i love him (laughs) (laughs) he's so nice i bet he's really into his dogs and they go for long walks. Yeah. He takes them for long walks with a flask of lemon squash and they go and like, <laughs> walk up to the to the top of the the hill where the where he can see the train tracks and he sits there with his binoculars and a notepad writing down the numbers of the, the trains that go past. <laughs> I love him. Oh. I've just I've just typed Michael Gross train into Google. And the top result is Michael Gross train video. <laughs> and now, oh, I, and now oh, I want to yes. know what, what this is. <gasps> oh my god. What is it? Oh my god. Um there's a whole series of video there's a there's a video called Building a Model Railroad with Michael Gross. <laughs> and it and it appears right, I need to find this. It appears to be a whole series of like instructional YouTube videos on uh, how to build building your first model railroad. Oh my god! Oh my god! I'm on it now. It's the best thing I think I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, he looks so oh. he looks so happy with his glasses and his his floaty <laughs> waspy hair and his. I wish he kept his mustache. He looks like a vicar. <laughs> I bet he'd love, um, there's a really great model railway exhibit in Rotterdam. <laughs> I bet he'd love it there. I, I, yeah. Very good. I've not got sound no, either. No, I'm just, just watching yeah. the visuals and it's just a sense, sensual experience. <laughs> sensual? No, no, it's a sense. No, oh, never mind. Uh, it's, ev- it's everything I wished it would be and more. Oh, God. <laughs> This is what he. This is what he does tremors for, then, isn't it? He literally goes, gets the paycheck, and builds his model railway. Oh, I love him. Uh, uh, do you think, Calvin, when you go into his house, you sit down in the living room, and he says, "Would you like a cup of tea?" And you you say, "Oh yes, please." And he says, "Okay, just catch the uh, the five o'clock express," and then you turn to your. <laughs> You turn to your 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 left, and there's a little train track, and it, a little train goes doot doot, and it's got like a sauce a sauce and a, a saucer and a a, a a cup of tea and some biscuits. Um, <laughs> oh, I would love that. Oh, uh, do you think he? Do you think he's? He's built a mo- he's built a model and like there's a bit where a little graboid jumps out at the track and <laughs> the train. Oh, oh but there is. <laughs> oh, it's so cute. Don't you just want to like? Oh, I'm on Google Images now and there's a there's an image of him like stood with just real life size trains and he looks so. Oh my, happy. God, oh my God, guys! Uh, oh no, his his character on Family Ties, Stephen Keaton, is on the Wikipedia page of fictional modelers. So it sounds like they wrote oh. that into the show <laughs> as a character trait. Uh, oh, brilliant! Because, yeah, he's 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 he was he's, always he's into it. Directly above Reverend Lovejoy um, <laughs> on this list. Oh, you just want to sit on his knee, don't you, and have him like 
do his train thing in front and of on, you. On the list of uh, real life modelers, he's two below Hermann Goering. <laughs> 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 huh. 